Hello, everyone. Hope you're well. Happy Father's Day to the dads out there who are watching. Do you know, it's a great privilege being a dad, isn't it? You, you do less than half the work of the mum in terms of uh, involvement with your, your kids, and yet they just think you're great. Dad is often one of the first words that they say as well. My children, my firstborn, her first word was no, but her second word was dad. My second born, his first word was dad. Hooray. The third born, his first word, dad. Yes. We're on a roll now. The fourth born, last born, his first word wasn't dad. It was poo. But it was closely followed by dad. don't know why he associated the two, poo and dad, together. But anyway, anyway, it, it's one of the first words that children say. Men, it's a tremendous privilege to be a father or a father-type figure in the life of another. I say father-type figure because I know for some people that Father's Day can be quite a painful time as dad is not around or was not around either by choice or by tragedy. And it's a great privilege to be a father-type figure in the life of another. And, you know, the church is a great place if you find yourself in that situation where dad is not around for whatever reason. It's a great place to, to decide, actually, I'm going to make the choice of going there when you're allowed to, to come here, uh, because actually there are many great chaps there that can help be father-type figures and have an influence in the life of a child. Because the evidence, statistically, is overwhelming at how important it is to have a father or a father-type figure in the life of a child. But more importantly than statistics, the Bible is also clear that, chaps, we have a primary responsibility in bringing up our children in the love and the fear of the Lord. God places a massive responsibility on us. It's a key part in raising up the next generation, helping them assess what's going on in the world around them. It's often a confusing and, to be honest, depraved world around us. And as dads, we have a key role in shaping the next generation. Also, the truth is that you as a dad or as a father type figure in the life of somebody else will actually help shape how they view God and how they come to God as their heavenly father, whether it comes with a sense of, oh, oh I don't know if I trust God, I don't trust fathers, uh, I don't trust my, my dad, so I don't, I'm not sure I can trust uh, God, or whether they can go to God easily, and, and the whole thought of Heavenly Father being a joy to know, actually, God is like a father to me. We have a huge responsibility in convey, conveying the father heart of God to the next generation. And the truth is, God wants to relate to you as a loving heavenly father. He wants you to know him as your father in a deeper way. So before 
we move on this morning, I thought it would be good just to hear from a few people as to the influence of their father on their life. And we've just asked them, what comes to mind when you think of your dad? So over to them now. I've got quite a few stories about my dad, but one that really sticks in my mind is when uh, I was working with him in the workshop and I needed to build a wheel and I needed 36 spokes of a certain length and I went over to where the spokes were and dad was standing in the way. So I said to him, I said, I need 36 spokes and told him what length I needed and uh, he reached back behind him without looking, grabbed out some spokes and handed them to me and uh, I said, is that enough? He said, well, it's 36, that's what you asked for. I said, is it exactly 36 there? He said, yeah, that's what you asked for. I said, well, shall I count them? He said, no, just go and get the wheel built. So anyway, I went and built the wheel and sure enough, there's 36 spokes there. So next time I, uh, next time I went over to him and said, uh, Dad, how did you do that? He said, do what? I said, how did you put your hand back and get exactly 36 spokes without looking? He said, well, he said, it's easy, he said. I just picked up 40 and dropped four back. When I think of my dad, I think of board games because there's a lot of board games in the front room. There's like a massive stack on top of our cupboards. It's a crazy amount of board games, but he seems to enjoy them a lot. And um, a nice memory I have of us is when we went to Disneyland a few years ago in the summer. And every evening we went to um, this ice cream parlour and we used to go to Ben and Jerry's and that was really nice. Uh, one thing that comes to mind is bad dad jokes which have become bad granddad jokes now, unfortunately. Um, another particularly good memory I have um, was at Christmas time. Um, every Christmas, me and my brother used to make my dad dress up as Father Christmas. Um, when I say dress up as Father Christmas, he had a blue dressing gown, which had a red lining to it, uh, which he wore inside out. He used to get a sheet of cotton wool and stick it on his face. And I think he must have had a red hat as well. Um, so he didn't really look very much like Father Christmas. And me and my brother knew it was my dad, but every year we used to make him do it anyway. Um, it's became quite a good uh, family tradition for us, um, but one I'm glad my children haven't decided to carry on as well. <laughs> the best thing about my dad is how good he is at giving you a hug, and it doesn't matter what's happening, if dad gives you a hug, it's the best thing in the world. One of my favourite memories from childhood is dad used to come back from a night shift and my nana would be like, don't wake your dad up, he needs to sleep. So I'd wait until she'd gone in the kitchen, then I'd sneak into his bedroom and give him a big hug because that's the best place to be. Hug from your dad. My favourite thing about my dad is how protective he is, whether it be giving us really good advice within life and our decisions, or you know when he physically protected me. There was a snake when I went to Brazil ages ago and uh, it was really venomous and he, he killed it so it didn't eat me. Um, probably my favourite thing about my dad is his comedic timing of how we use comedy in basically everything and it works really well. Either him using comedy to push me in the pool to teach me how to swim or to teach us a really valid life lesson that will help us in the future. When I think of my dad, there's only one word that springs to mind. Seagulls! <laughs> so when you think about daddy, what do you think about? Uh... Very, very handsome. <laughs> when I think of my dad, I think of someone who uh, loves Formula One, loves playing the guitar, uh, can be a little bit grumpy, uh, but overall a constant source of encouragement um, to me and other people.
My, my dad died 40 years ago, next month, uh, July 1980. Um, after serving in the army, uh, he worked hard with his brothers to build up the family printing business and to develop it, which wasn't easy in those post-war years of austerity when everything was in short supply, including paper. However, we had a comfortable and secure family life without it ever being luxurious. He cared and provided for his family, that's me and my mum and my two younger brothers, in, in an environment of a loving Christian home. He spent much of his time uh, serving the church, particularly working with young people and children, and it was through his work with young people that Doyne and I met, as did one of my brothers and his wife, and Doyne's sister and her husband. And as well as leading a very large church youth club, uh, he became very well known nationally in the Methodist youth movement. My one regret is that he died so young, he was only 65, he had earned a long and happy retirement, and there aren't many days uh, that go by, even after 40 years, that I don't think of him. Thanks for that, that's, that's great. You know, one of the most famous stories of a father in the Bible is a story of the prodigal son found in Luke chapter 15. And we're going to focus on that today. This parable, a parable is just a story that, that is told that has a deeper spiritual meaning or a spiritual principle that is being uh, um, brought out of it. And this parable comes in a series of parables that Jesus told about things being lost and then found. There's the lost sheep, then there's the lost coin, and then there's the lost son or the prodigal son as it's known as because he didn't get lost accidentally. It was through, through his own selfishness and stupidity that he ended up going away from the family home. And Jesus tells this story because people were moaning at him about why he was welcoming people into his presence that they considered to be morally lost. They were, they were real, real bad sinners. Why was Jesus allowing them to come near him? And in answering this, he tells these parables. So let's read this parable. You can find it in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. And Jesus said... There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything... A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to feed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. 
I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safely. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years have I served you, and I've never disobeyed your commands, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This story would have been shocking to the audience of Jesus, far more than it is to us the, uh, uh, in, in our day. You know, back then, the culture was very much more hand-to-mouth than it is now. And it's not like the father had a box prepared of, this is your share of the inheritance, to say, there you go, son, take this. When do you get your inheritance? It's when your parents die. Back then, they may have got it just a little bit before, when the father was to be too old to work himself, and so he hands it out to his children before then. But basically... The son is saying, you're dead to me, dad. I want my inheritance now. I, w I, 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 want it. I can do a better job with it than you. And his actions show that actually he had no intention of looking after his family, no intention of looking after his father, because as soon as he gets it, he sells it and moves off to a foreign country away from his family now this would have this is shocking in our culture in our western individualistic culture can you imagine how shocking this would be in a middle eastern family orientated community culture uh, it, the, the, the crowd would have been outraged. It would have been so selfish. How can the son do that? He deserves to be punished. He deserves to die. 
That was the sort of thoughts that would be going through their mind. Particularly as they saw the fact that he takes that money and squanders it on reckless living. The brother says on prostitutes and things like that. He's taking not just his father's wealth, but it would have gone through the family lines, his grandfather's and his great-grandfather's wealth. And he squandered it, nothing to pass on to another gen- generation below him. They would have been outraged at what he was doing. The, the crowd listening would have been saying, but Jesus, this boy, he needs to be punished, surely. And then it seems like an answer comes from heaven. A famine comes along. He's run out of his money. A famine comes, comes along. And he has to go and work for people in this foreign land. Ha! Some divine punishment they would have been thinking coming his way. Yes, he, he deserves this. Not only that, he has to then go and work with the most despised animal, pigs, and feed them. And he's so hungry... He has to, he's longing to eat the food that he's giving to the pigs, the leftover rubbish, basically. He wants to eat it. And nobody, the story says, helped him. And the crowd would have been thinking, yes, he deserves that. Because they wouldn't be thinking about him. Their mind would still be thinking about the impoverished state of the family left behind. The fact that he had been so rude to his father, the, the recklessness, the selfishness. They'd have been thinking about the damage done there. And they'd be thinking, yes, this is just this good story, Jesus. Great story. We can all learn something from, from this. We mustn't be so selfish. Great story. For them, Jesus could have finished the parable there. But Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? He carries on. The young man comes to his senses. He realizes his wickedness, his selfishness before God and before his family. And he remembers how his father's a good man. He even looks after his servants well. And he decides, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to go back and apologize to my father. I recognize I deserve to die. I'm not going to ask to come back as a, as a son, but I'll come back as one of the servants and I'll serve in his family. And now comes the real shock factor that we may not pick up so much in our culture. The crowd listening would be thinking, how is the father going to react to this son who's been rebellious, who's been selfish, who has caused so much damage and pain and shame to the family? How is he going to react? And Jesus says, while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him and then had a party for him. The father is nothing like the crowd. He is not looking to condemn the boy. The boy's already realized his error. He's always realized his selfishness, his sin. And he's coming back to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. The father realizes that and is full of forgiveness. He's full of compassion. He is full of love towards his 
son. And before the son even finishes speaking, he doesn't even get to, 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 to say all that he wanted to say. You know, he says, uh, I've sinned uh, uh, before heaven and, uh, and you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupts him and, and, and says, no, no, no. Quick, get a robe for him. Put a ring on his finger. Give him some shoes. Let's have a party. The crowd, they would have been... They would have been dumbstruck. They would have think, my goodness, is it even right that the father can be so kind, can be so compassionate? Remember, Jesus is answering the question or the accusation, how can he, as a godly person, welcome sinners into his presence? And Jesus himself tells us that he has come to reveal the Father to us as his creation. So as he's telling the story about himself, he is revealing to us what Father God is like. And actually, in truth, he's revealing to us what all of us are like before God. Because we've all turned our back. On God, the Bible says, we've we've said things like, "I don't want to live with you telling me what to do, God. I want to do what I want to do, and I, you know, whatever you've given me, I I want to use it how I want to use it. I don't want you to tell me how to use what I have." Not realizing that everything you have, everything you own, everything you've been given by God, even your life, is a gift. From God. And with us, sometimes unintentionally, but sometimes intentionally, saying, Well, God, actually, I want to live life my way, not your way. That is actually saying, You're dead to me, God, like this son does in the parable. I want to do it my way. And like the crowds expected to happen to the prodigal son. Judgment is coming. God is a God of justice. He is, Christ, the Bible says, is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And the Bible is clear that all of us, by ourselves, we stand guilty before a holy God for what we have done, said, and thought. And when we die, or Christ returns, it will be too late for us to come to our senses like the prodigal son does. And things like this pandemic, whilst it is terrible, it's actually a good reminder to us that we are mortal, that we will die one time if, we do, if Christ doesn't return. And therefore, we need to be ready to meet our maker and we, when we die, we will, we will face God and he will judge us for how we have treated him and his creation. Yet because God is full of forgiveness, full of compassion, full of love, the Bible tells us he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, perfect life, and then his cruel death on 
the cross. God made a way for a divine exchange to happen where Jesus willingly in love takes on himself all the things that you and I have done that are wrong, that offend God. And when we put our faith in him, we get accredited with Jesus' righteous life if you surrender to him. And you do this by putting your trust in Jesus and choosing to live the rest of your life for him. And as a sign that God accepted Christ's sacrifice and because death itself had no hold on Jesus, he rose again victoriously three days later. And it's also a sign for all of us who believe and put our faith in Jesus that we too will rise again to be with him forever when he returns. And you won't be judged guilty before God because Christ has already paid the punishment for you. you. You've come as a child of God. You are welcomed by your heavenly Father. You get to know the almighty God as your Father in heaven. You see, the older brother in this story didn't appreciate this. He was looking at all the things he had done for his father rather than appreciating the relationship, the friendship, the closeness, the intimacy that he got to have with the father. My friends, what a warning to us who have been Christians for a while. Has your walk with God become a bit more like, well, God, why haven't you done this for me when I've done so much for you? Or, no, why are you doing that for them? When, haven't you seen what they're like? Haven't you seen they've not surrendered this area of their life to you? Rather than just appreciate the fact that you have the privilege of coming to the Almighty through Jesus Christ as your heavenly Father, knowing him intimately and enjoying his love. Yes, we do come before God with reverential fear because of his greatness, because of his awesomeness. And yet he welcomes us as his beloved children. He has clothed us with the robe of Christ's righteousness. We have been given the seal of the Holy Spirit to live within us as a sign that we belong to God. If you're a Christian today, this Father's Day, then rejoice in the fact that you can come to God as your heavenly Father and enjoy sweet fellowship with him. You know, surely that's something, uh, apart from many other things, surely that's something that this lockdown time has or is supposed to teach us that it's not about us doing things. It's about us being in relationship with God, knowing him and being intimate with him, desiring to be in his presence. Let's not be like the older brother. Do you know, it's a privilege that we have to go to God as our Heavenly Father. If you don't know Jesus this morning then like the prodigal son, please come to your senses. Recognize that you have been ignoring God, who is the one who gave you 
your life. Living how you want in a world that basically he has given you to live in. And living the way you want is basically saying, you know, get lost, God. I want to do it my way. You're dead to me. Judgment is coming your way. See this present hardship, this present time as a wake-up call from God so that you, through Jesus, can come to him and make him your heavenly father. And he, you, he, Jesus has already told you how he will respond to you if you decide to do that, whatever you've done. Come to him now and pray this prayer along with me, if that is you watching. Father in heaven, forgive me for ignoring you and for everything that I've done that is offensive to you. Thank you that you sent Jesus on the cross to die for me. And help me through the power of your Holy Spirit, which raised Jesus from the dead, to live the rest of my life for you. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Amen. Well done if you prayed that. We would love to hear from you as a church. Our contact details are uh, before and after uh, th this meeting. Please contact the office. We'd love to follow you up and speak to you further if you've made that decision. For uh, those chaps out there, can I encourage you, have a, have a great Father's Day. Well, all of you, have a great Father's Day. And uh, men, please, dads. Take seriously this responsibility that we have to represent Father God to the next generation. Who's up to this task? Well, in reality, none of us can do it in our own strength. But Jesus hasn't left us here alone to do it in our own strength, has he? He has given us his Holy Spirit who empowers us to live for God. And actually, we all of us need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit for us to live to God. So all of you, not just, not just the chaps out there, all of us, let's, can I just encourage you just to close your eyes and to put out your hands in front of you and to receive from God as I pray. I'm just going to pray for us now. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you that we don't earn your favor. Thank you we don't earn your love, Lord God. You have chosen to pour out your love on us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you want us to relate to you as our Father in heaven. And Lord, I just pray for everyone listening, Lord God, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, just fall upon them now, Lord God. Come and touch their lives afresh. Fill them, Lord God, with your Spirit, Lord God. Move upon them and help them to do all that you've called them to do, Lord God. I pray for those just needing a fresh touch from you, a fresh sense of the love of God. I pray, Holy Spirit, just fall upon them now and fill them afresh with that sense of your love and your intimacy and your rejoicing over them as a child of God. Bless them, I pray. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Father's Day. Thank you 
for listening. I'm going to close the meeting now. I'm just going to hand over to Joe to lead us in one final song, rejoicing in God's love for you. Amen.